And I've got to go back to Advocate Rod Solomons. I love him. Um, his, I'm going to read it again. I'm not going to put the swear words in there. But anyway, let me go in there. He says, <laughs> the day of reckoning, the 27th of October 2021, is the date that we will tell all political parties what we think of their PIAAS poor performances. <coughs> Advocate Rod Solomons, convener of the SA First Forum. I'm not sure that you'd put it that eloquently, Sanusha, and I do a very good morning to you. Good morning, Keo, and how are you doing? I'm doing great. Absolutely wonderful, You're thank happy, you. right? I uh, am. I'm going to miss you. Thank you, first of all, and it's, it's always been great chatting to you. Love your insights. Um, but you know what, eh? when you become an old part like me, you know eventually your time is going to be up, so you better plan other things, which I started doing about two years ago, <laughs> and now it's time <laughs> to execute them. So, you know, and one of it might be throwing my hat in some ring as mayor of Cape Town at some stage. I don't oh, know. Oh, no, no, that, that's fantastic. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of people supporting you. <laughs> no, but let's, I'm just kidding, but let's, let's, let's talk about, um, you know, the significance of all of this, especially within the context of COVID-19 and the challenges that it brings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were waiting with anticipated, anticipation rather uh, when this local government election would be held. And now we have a date, October 27th. And, of course, this means that political parties are now given um, more than five months to, to try and make sure that they get to the right spaces in terms of their lobbying and put their, their different institutional architecture into place for, for the lobbying for the election, as well as in terms of the election manifestos and whether or not they can go out under the COVID-19 regulations in terms of what does lobbying mean, you know, in terms mm. of physical as well as um, online lobbying, etc. But it also means that the IEC has to be prepared. And I know that the IEC uh, executives in their presentation to Parliament have indicated that they are prepared for uh, the, the, the way in which elections should be run under COVID conditions. But again, you know, these COVID conditions can change at, uh, uh, within, within hours. And, and of course, if we move into October and if by September, we see that we may be moving towards a, a more uh, a level of which there's 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 greater transmission and the, and and the infection rates are rising, then it does make uh, raise the question of mm-hmm. what contingency plans both political parties have, but also the IEC has. I do know that under the conditions of the by-election, there were political parties that were out, they were lobbying, like in the Western Cape. But at the same time, you know, can you do your normal election rally and launch your manifesto and do all all your kinds of political grandstanding and gestures that normally happen in a run-up to an election, which this time around may not be there? The other issue to bear in mind as well is, how, how are the resources for political parties, both financial and non-financial resources? Are they, are they prepared in that way to, mm. to be able to manage a, a, an election in a year where there's COVID-19 conditions that basically kind of crept up on them in 2020, if not previously, and then just kind of you know, hit, hit them, hit them yeah. in a very difficult way? Indeed. And I, I tell you what, I can just see the ANC crying foul eventually because the DA will be able to do it via Zoom. Absolutely, you know, um, and of course, you know that that's that's what that's the big question. I mean, I think the EFF, uh, for 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 whatever raft of reasons that they have, that 
they believe that South Africa and they themselves maybe in, uh, technically are not prepared to, to lobby for this election or to yeah. contest for this election. So they've been making this appeal. Yeah. But unfortunately, the electoral laws are such that, that I'm not sure whether under what special circumstances you can delay an election to the following mm. year. Mm. And I think within the context of the electoral law, you have to have it within the time frame of the last election, and I think give or take plus or minus three months there, thereafter. Asanusha, I think the, the really important question a lot of people obviously have to grapple with is who the hell do we vote for? Um, you know, and, and obviously, listen, um, I reckon the ANC stands, my personal opinion is that they stand the slimmest, slimmest, slimmest of chances of even thinking about taking um, a, a lot of the city of Cape Town. Um, I mean, maybe with Saul Ramaphosa there, um, you know, there might be a glimmer of hope, but I, I don't know. Everybody in Cape Town leaves a lot to be desired. Um, on the DA front, um, you know, between CVs and, you know, um, favorites and all the rest of it, you know, what, what's one actually left with to consider? Yeah, I, you know, you raise a very valid point. I think it's not just about who do we vote for, but I think looking at the at the at the testimonial of each and every political party and asking the hard questions, the reflection of how um, not just under COVID conditions, but just the reflection of responsibility, capacity, um, being able to, to, to be able to address the needs of people at the mm. grassroots. I think we, we, we're sitting in a serious dilemma that we're uncertain. I mean, once, once you become uncertain and you're not sure, um, you, don't, you, you, you end up in a situation where if you look at the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation bar- barometer that they released at the very yeah. 2019 and they released it last year, it was quite telling to see that more than 55% of the people say they don't believe their vote actually makes a difference. Mm. And then more than about 60% of, of, of respondents saying that they are politically active in their communities, mm. but they actually rely on each other than they do on political uh, party representatives yeah. or elites that are represented in parties. So yeah. I think in itself, there's a telling issue. But the problem we have, or the challenge we have, Kiro, is we have a political uh, electoral system that also, as you rightly point out, the slimmest of chances in the Western Cape, but it's also a, the fact of the matter is, if you don't vote, the PR system actually gives you that first-past-the-post kind yeah, of exactly. uh, advantage. And mm-hmm. so you still end up with political parties. But what you're going to end up with is the bigger political parties scouting around for coalitions. Then it becomes an even more of a dilemma for the electorate because mm-hmm. they say, well, I didn't vote. I still got this political party that's in power, but mm-hmm. now they're in bed with somebody else. How much more are we going to basically have a system that doesn't necessarily take our voice, our interests, and our... Uh, uh, issues to the core of where the heart of governance is. Now, how does this... So, so if, if I as an independent stand in my ward, and okay, because I want to make a difference there, how do I fit into the, the greater scheme of things? You know, you know and, and, and what, yeah. what happens if you have a grouping of people that might have business savvy and a whole host of other skills that come together going, listen, let's all vie for these group of wards in the city of Cape Town and before we even offer anything, let's take our resources and already start delivering value to the people there. Um, I mean, is that sort of thing possible? You know, it's it's something 
something that we it's not a it's a model that, ha- that can be explored in terms of what you are talking about where you, you mm. could actually mix it up i think the ruling of the of the constitutional court with regard to the um independent candidates being able to contest national elections is something that's going to be quite important to track and monitor in terms of some of the points you're making. But I think the closest we come to that is in terms of ward councillors, etc., and this kind of participatory democracy we talk about. But then you could actually end up saying that I don't want to belong to a political party. I actually want to create a civic movement, and I want to represent these individuals in the sense that I will represent them because they, they, they put their vote and their confidence and their trust in me. But unfortunately, I have to be very, very honest and say vested interests and interest-driven approaches tend to overshadow sometimes mm. these kinds of uh, uh, things. So in a way, the question we should be having is, uh, you know, to what extent are we willing to actually have people's assemblies that actually have representatives to your legislature as opposed to a political party that goes in and does the traditional voting, uh, lobbying, vote for me and I'll promise you the world, but then when I get there I forget that the world is not beyond my own little fiefdom. You know, those are the questions we need to be asking. But I do think that when you think about civic movements and you think about community-based organizations, I think what you are raising is that the community can come together the problem we also have is that we, too, we, we have a democracy that's driven by financial resources only. You can only contest in terms of how much of money you have. Yes, I think we've got to also pull that back as well. Ay, ay, ay. Tell you what. Okay, so then, and so you, you've got the normal um, people in the ring, like the Democratic Alliance, and then you've got the ANC. And then people have made a lot of noise about, I don't know, the EFF, I, I, I doubt, will become any f- bit of a force in the Western Cape, my personal opinion. But then you've got the Cape Party, who obviously wants to secede. And then you've got Herman Mashaba, and I think Fakey Mentor doing his stuff in the Western Cape. Mm-hmm. Do you think any of them stand a chance? Um, it's difficult. The problem with, split, with smaller political parties, and, and that's the, that's the, 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 the kind of, of, of challenge we have in South Africa, is that we have too many political parties that becomes a kind of fishbowl of parties, just kind of swimming in a small little fishbowl. And so they're contesting for a very small space of the electoral landscape and the rights and, and the votes of people. And so the bigger political parties do have better traction, and they are able to, to, to put out the resources there to be able to see where they're going. I think also we must remember that there are uh, interests that, uh, and, and, and people will view p- different political parties based on whether that party protects whatever interest they have. And so the bigger political parties may be m- better suited for that kind of interpretation of the electoral landscape, but at the same time, the smaller political parties could become critical outside of the Cape Metro, outside of uh, the bigger uh, electoral landscape in the Western yeah. Cape. So when you're looking at your municipalities where the tipping point is very delicate, the smaller political parties who may hold certain sway or hold certain kinds of electoral uh, votes will then have to enter into negotiation. I think for this local government election, two things are critical for me. Voter turnout and whether voter apathy has become quite critical where people are not going to go out to vote uh, and conditions of, under which people are going to be voting in terms of regulations with COVID-19 and so forth. But the second thing is coalition politics. Yeah. Uh, gosh, that's swear. You're not allowed to swear on radio. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> coalition politics, where you have to sell half your soul to get some of what you want, basically, I think. Um, what do you think of the whole CV debacle? 
not just one, there are a couple of them around there. Yeah, I, I think you. I think when 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 people look at their CVs, they must be very very clear that they have that qualification. Uh, I think sometimes uh, it's not good to embellish CVs because it can come back to haunt you. But I also think that you know, in in terms of understanding what a CV means, um, it's 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 a much bigger question than the CV. It's integrity, it, you know. right? Yes, it's a much bigger question than the CV, and there has to be uniform application of policies that you have across the board, not just in terms of whether you see it in one particular context and not another. Exactly. I don't know what you just said there, but it made sense. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. So, Lucia, you're right. I think... Yeah, I mean, I, I think I laugh, though, because we talk about, you know, person lies about what's on their CV. They didn't correct it. Um, we need integrity. But um, my big question to everybody is, who thinks politicians actually have integrity? I, I, I should, I should, I'm not going to ask you to comment on that. But, um, no, 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 don't. <laughs> but I, I, I think I should do a bit of a thing out there, ask people and, and do a bit of a poll at some stage. But, Sanusha... Always I will la- say this, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, as the last 10 seconds, integrity is, is, is relative. Yes, this <laughs> is true. This is, this is true. <laughs> and sometimes only your relatives believe you have integrity. Uh, Sanusha Naidu, great chatting to you, Senior Research Associate, of course, at the Institute for Global Dialogue.